Pastor Stacy's preaching about how's your love life. And um, the challenge was really to share with you about someone uh, who is an example of love. And um, I chose Esther. Um, some may look at Esther and, uh, in many different ways, but I look at her as a very brave woman, a very um, courageous woman, a woman who was not afraid. And even if she was, she still trusted in the power and provision of the Lord. And I wanted to show a video this morning, and I don't know, or we don't have a video? Two minutes. All right. Had a little video. It kind of set up the, the message this morning. And um, I'm going to be looking, and what I'll do is we'll go ahead and share um, the passage of Scripture. Uh, I'm looking at Esther chapter 5. So if you want to turn there. And we're just going to read verses 1 through 8. And I'm reading from the NIV, and the reason why I chose to do that, I usually preach out of the KJV, but um, the reason why I chose to do that is there's a lot of names uh, like King Xerxes and, um, and Susa and that are called uh, different names in the New King James, the King James. And so I just went ahead and I cut to the chase, and we just went straight to Xerxes and, Zusa, uh, and Susa and uh, where they're at in Persia. And uh, just wanted to just cut to the chase. And so that's what I'll be reading from today. And it says, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the banquet I will prepare for them, that I will answer the king's question. Are we ready? <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your awesomeness, Lord, that we've experienced here this morning, just in song. Lord, just how powerful you are. Lord, that just a glimpse, just a touch of your Holy Spirit can come into a room. And Lord, it can just set us all ablaze. It can humble us. It can break us. And Lord, in our lives, there's times when you call us to do unbelievable things. But we need unbelievable power from on high to do those things. 
And so, Father, today as we look at Esther, as we seek out some truths in your word, God, we pray that you would minister to us, you would minister to your people, and that, God, you would um, hide us, God, and, and not let us be seen. Let us be a vessel of honor for you. Lord, I pray that, God, everything that's said and done will be done for your will, for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Summon she comes before the king. She does. Is protocol not broken? Yes, protocol has been broken down.
It's just replaying now. <laughs> Stop it. I think that's probably one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Um, I remember several years ago when Tommy Tenney was about to put this movie out. I went, drove all the way to Charlotte to hear him speak. And um, he came out dressed like Mordecai. And, and um, he acted this out just individually in his sermon. And I thought it was amazing. And uh, there's so much in the book of Esther that you see. I mean, there's so much. There's bravery. There's deceitfulness. There's mercy. There's so much. And there's so much that I could share with you today, but we are limited on time. Um, and I'm thankful for that clock back there. I see it now. Pastor Stacy told me about it. And uh, I see it. Um, but there's so much that I can tell you about that. But I think that part just... It stirs me emotionally. How I many of you guys were stirred emotionally by what the king did? I mean, that's amazing. You could put that in so many contexts in your life and what God has done for us in our life. And you can, you can put that in so many different ways. The, the, it stirs my heart with compassion and with the royalty power. And it's just amazing to me. And it also kind of brings out that romantic side of you, too. You know, when he looks into Esther's face. She's like, yeah, you saved me, Big Daddy. <laughs> but you know what? It's amazing what God does in our lives. And you know, he can use a pagan king to show us so much. And the things that a pagan king needs to show us so much because King Xerxes had it going on, didn't he? He had it going on. I mean, he was powerful, and I'm supposing he was probably good looking, I guess. And uh, he had many people at his feet. I mean, you see the people just lying down through the courts, and they sat at his feet as long as he required them to, I'm sure. And they had many people standing by his side. But his story is not an easy one. I can't imagine. It's just like being president of the United States. Either people hate you, they love you, and there's always someone who wants your position. But really, his problem started on the seventh day of a banquet. He had just come out of a 180-day banquet that he had had for his military and his officials and all those people in Persia and the and, and media, and all the princes and nobles. He'd just come out of an 180-day banquet. These people loved to eat and drink. All the time, they ate and they drank. I think there was listed in this book alone, in 10 chapters, there were 10 banquets. If it wasn't for all the drinking, we would have thought they could possibly have been Baptists. I don't know. Because we find an excuse to eat. But they had continually had banquets. So on the seventh day of this banquet, he gets a little wine happy. And he wants to uh, flex his king muscles in front of all of the people in the, in the court. And he calls for his queen Vashti. And he wants to parade her around so that everyone can see just how beautiful she is. Now, however she called However she was called, I don't know. I don't know how he um, directed her to, to come into the court. No one, I'm not really sure of that. All it says is for her to wear her crown. We don't know what else. 
So she was to come, and, and Vashti did something really weird. She said no. During the king's banquet, so did the queen have a banquet. And the queen was entertaining her people, and the king was entertaining his people. And so he's going to call her from her banquet to come and, and do a runway model excursion for him. And she said no. But the problem is, is that in those days, no one disrespects the king. No one disrespects the king, not even the queen. For me, I think she probably just should have showed up just for a few minutes. I'm just thinking. The king wants me to show up. I'll show up. I'll come. I'll be right back, ladies. Excuse me. I'll be right back. It won't take but just a minute. The king wants me to come. And so she, but she said no. But I don't think Vashti was that vain because obviously she would have thought, shoot, yeah, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to go show just what a good-looking wife, wife, a queen that he has. I'm going. But she didn't. She didn't feel like a runway model. She wasn't a prize to be obtained just to show off. You can just see the king with his chest stuck out and his head raised, thinking to myself, oh, no, she didn't. He was already kind of tipsy on wine, so, you know, not only has he got his royalty on, but he's also got his beer muscles on. That's what I call them. And so now all of his cool points are gone. He just lost every cool point he had. He, if he was living in today's time, he'd have been like, am I on the show you've just been punked? The queen has said no. So he consulted the officials, you know, the king. He's got to figure out what's right, what's wrong, and he's going to consult the, the officials. So I call this a royal huddle. They join together. And this is what it sounded like to me. That Mimukin, one of his advisors, says, If you don't do something, every woman in the kingdom will hear about you letting Queen Vashti just run all over you, and all the women will follow her example. So what's up with this guy? Is he having problems at home? Is his wife telling him what to do? I mean, it's like, can I use the king's signet ring to seal something so that my wife will get off my back? I mean, because it's already been happening, but now I've got a good excuse. So he's telling him, everyone is going to look at you and they're going to say, you're the wimpiest king ever. Now, we know that's not true. But they said it is simple. Put her out. Just put her out. She's no longer able to come before the king. Her royal position will be given to someone else. And she will never be as queen again. And they said, that'll show them. Because the queen's the man. The king is the man. That'll show them. Because he's in control. He speaks the word. And he's in control. And so these men knew it would be widespread very quickly. So King Xerxes agreed, and so it was done. Holy huddle was now ready, break. We're done. And so in verse, verse one, or chapter 1, verse 20 to 22, we see that the king and his nobles were pleased with this advice. So the king did as Mimikin proposed, and he sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province, in its own script, and to each people in their own language, proclaiming, and this is what they wanted to hear, that every man 
should be ruler over his own household using his native tongue. So now we stop there and we jump forward four years. We, four years have passed. And king has come home from trying to take over Greece. And the king is thinking, wow, there's nobody to say, honey, I'm home. To. So he starts thinking about Vashti and he starts thinking, maybe there's some reconciliation there. But there's not because he's already sealed it. It's over. He can't even have Vashti anymore if he wanted her. So it, it's, uh, it's over. So now we have a crowning of a new queen. And we know that as we look at the, if you continue to look through this, and just trying to give you a little background, um, the, the people came, the, the advisors came again, and they said, all right, this is what we should do. We should go throughout Persia, bring all the beautiful virgins, and have them have this Miss Persia contest to see who will be the next queen. And so they, this is like 400 women that will be coming. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, told us that there would be around 400 young ladies. And the young women will go through a minimum of one year preparation. That was six months of oil treatment that was made with myrrh and six months of perf uh, perfumes, cosmetics for the beautification of the women. One year? One year. And they said these women were pretty. Why does it take one year to beautify them? That's what I want to know. But I can just imagine them in, in, in the great palace, in the great chamber, uh, the mud masks, the cucumbers on their eyes, the saunas, the massages, the manicures, the pedicures, the plexus they drink. Mary Kay comes in. And then when Mary Kay ain't looking, Avon slides in. And then they go to another room where the It Works wraps are in that room. And so they get their wrap. They had the full treatment. The full treatment. In today's society, that's what it would have been. Get you some Plexus, some Mary Kay, It Works wraps, get it all. Get your treatment. And then you'll be beautiful. You'll be skinny. And you won't have any bumps on your face. They said they were young, so that could have been a possibility too. Some may have been from the country, some from the inner city. We don't know. So it might be that their etiquette wasn't quite where it needed to be. And I, I think about how models, you know, they try to teach them how to balance a book on their head. Well, I don't really remember books back then, you know. I'm thinking of them trying to balance a scroll. Balancing a scroll on their head, trying to walk like a, a queen and trying to eat like a lady. You know, the pinky thing with the cup. They're young ladies, so their skills might not have been quite up to par. And so they needed help, also maybe matching their clothes. Some of them might have came in looking like a hot mess. So after a year of preparation, we know that they would go into the king. They would take other things that they thought they might possibly need. And I love that movie. If you've never seen One Night with the King, you need to watch it. This poor little girl comes walking in, and she's got so much gold and stuff hanging on her that she can't even stand up. She thinks that's going to impress the king. 
So she's trying to impress the king. So they go in and, and they spend that night with the king. And if, and if he, at the end of the night, he, she comes out in the morning. And if he wants her, he'll call her back. If not, she goes to be a, a concubine. And basically, it's a pampered concubine slash wife. He's still going to take care of her, but he's, she's not going to be his queen. So, then came Hadassah. Hadassah is Esther, but that's her Hebrew name, Hadassah. She'd been raised right. She didn't have a father or mother, so her cousin took her in. Cousin. We all call him Uncle Mordecai, but he was actually a cousin. So we'll call him Uncle Mordecai. But he raised her like a daughter, and she was radiantly beautiful. Radiantly beautiful, and her beauty was natural. Beauty, and, and she had great wisdom and virtue. Esther quickly gained favor over the king's harem custodian. So guess what? If she gained if she gained favor over him, guess what happens to Esther? He begins giving her more than her share of beauty preparations, like she needed them. But she gets more. And she is assigned seven choice maidservants from the king's palace. And then she and her maidservants were moved to the best place in the house. She went from Motel 6 accommodations to the Hilton. Now she has the best of the best. And, the, and, and Haggai is going to take good care of her. We don't know how many of women that were ahead. We don't know how many women were ahead of Esther. But I can assure you that there wasn't many needed. There was none after her. Because if we look at that, we realize that when, when her, her turn came, Esther didn't request anything else. She went in as a natural woman. She didn't have to have all the gold all those things that all the other ladies wanted, she was simple. And guess what? The king loved Esther. Everyone else tried so hard. But the women realized that she had obtained grace and favor in the king's sight. And so he set the crown on her head. And, and then she was the queen instead of Ashley. The, the king proclaimed a great celebration. A great celebration. And, and he pardoned a lot of things, and he did a lot of things. And, and then Uncle Mordecai gets to move into the court. He gets to sit in the court. You saw as she walked in, Uncle Mordecai is sitting there thinking, Oh, Lord, this could be the last time I see Esther. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But he moves in. He hears of a plot to king, kill the king. And, and he lets Esther know. And Esther lets the king know. But Mordecai is not... He's not paid anything. He's not um, honored in any way for saving the king's life. But then we start to look in the next chapter, and it's like, here comes Haman. What's this guy getting, you know, to be the right-hand man for? Mordecai just saved the king's life, and Haman was not a good man. He was not a good man. And Haman did not like Mordecai. Mordecai did not like Haman. Haman was a descendant of the Amalekites who tried to totally annihilate the Jewish people. And 500 years later, Mordecai still don't like Haman. He doesn't like the Amalekites. But also on the other shoe, other foot, 
is Haman, who has found out just who Mordecai is and who his people are, and he can't stand him either. And so when Haman would come through, Mordecai would not bow. That's just like walking up and, you know, knuckle-punching President Obama. Be like, yeah, what's up, dude? So disrespectful, irreverent, there ain't nothing good about that. Secret service takes you down, okay? You don't do things like that. Just walk up into the Oval Office and do what you want to do. No, it doesn't happen. Well, Haman was the king's right-hand man, but Mordecai did not care. It wasn't an issue for him. They didn't like each other. So, Haman had a plan. Let's take out the Jews. And after he found out who Mordecai's people were, he said, let's take them all out. All of them. Not let one exist. And so he talked to the king, and he basically bought the signet ring off the hand of King Xerxes with 10,000 talents of silver, which is about two-thirds of a Persian's annual income. And the king had told him, just keep the money, but he also knew that the money was going to come back into the treasury, so it made him look kind of good anyway, just to say, no, we, don't, we won't take the money. Eleven months passes, and the Jews were then supposed to be completely annihilated in one day. So in one day, they would completely annihilate every Jewish man, woman, boy, and girl. And so that's in every province, which was there was 127. And Mordecai heard the evil scheme. Well, he goes into the sackcloth and ashes, and he's weeping and wailing. And as the other people find out, the other Jews, he goes in, they go into the sackcloth and ashes, and they're weeping and wailing. And he goes all the way to the king's gate crying loudly. But that's as far as he could go because he couldn't go in dressed that way. So everyone was praying and fasting and mourning and weeping and wailing. And Esther heard about this, and so she sent out to ask her uncle Mordecai, what in the world's going on? What's the problem? And Mordecai told Esther. He even sent a copy of the decree to Esther. And Esther, in Esther 4, 10 through 11, it says, Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to king. So when she sent, he sent the letter, he also sent for help. Listen, Esther, you've got to go before the king, and you've got to ask for help. And that's, that was her reply. I'm sure Esther, you know, it had been 30 days since she had been called for. Why 30 days? What had happened in 30 days? And Mordecai sent her a reply, and he said, Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. He's letting her know, listen, I love you, I've raised you as my own daughter, but don't you dare think that if you don't help us, that you're just going to set up there and you're going to be taken care of and the rest of us die because they're going to find out you're a Jew too. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance of the Jews will come from another place. But you and your family's fam father's family, your people will perish. And you know that he also ended that by saying, who knows, 
but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. And so, of course, we know God's provisions have put her there. And I'm going to move through these kind of quickly. And, but she then, she looks at that, and then if she doesn't follow God's plan, she has to realize that Mordecai has just told her, guess what? You don't be used, if you're not used by God, God will use somebody else. And that's exactly how God feels about us today. I will call you, I will put it on your heart, but if you don't do it, I will do it through somebody else. So, we see Esther's love for her people. He takes her from, the point, uh, from this point and the love she has for Mordecai and enables her to follow his request. And it also shows her faith for the Almighty. So the first thing that I want you to see, I want you to see that Esther's faith enables her to do unbelievable things. Unbelievable things. Back in verse 1, it says, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court. She stood in the inner court. That was an ultimate no-no. You don't stand in the inner court unless the king calls you. So Esther had told Mordecai to go and to tell all the Jews present in Susa before she went and stood in the inner court. And she said, fast and pray for three days. And while you're fasting and praying, my, myself and my maids will be praying, my maidservants. And they were fasting. And Esther could have been, she, it could have been very well signing her death sentence. But Esther said, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. It's amazing that Esther went through this in the Word, but there's people living that out every day right now. They say, I, if I perish, I perish, but I will share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it be on American soil or in another place. If we don't share it, God will use somebody else to take the gospel. And so this time, it was Esther's turn. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that you labor in the Lord. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And Ephesians 6, 11 says, Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Xerxes was not a godly man. Xerxes was not a godly man. He was a king with an abundance of power. And God's provision must make a way for Esther. And you're thinking, you're talking about Esther's praying, they're fasting. They're... God's name's not even mentioned in the book of Esther. But we realize and we understand that sometimes the author will use the, the omission of God or to the, to the words to pray or prayer. It's usually an intention of the author to show that God has been active throughout the whole book anyway. How could he not be active in this book? How could we not see God's provision in this book? So for that reason... Esther proclaimed a fast. No one proclaims a fast and says, let's just sit down here and starve for three days and see what happens. Nobody does that. That's a total waste of time. If I'm going to starve myself, and believe me, it's going to take a lot for me to fast. 
But if I'm going to starve myself for three days, I'm praying to God. For one, that I don't get hungry. For two, there's a good reason. Because people like me don't just go on fast and it don't affect us. And so Esther proclaims a fast, and the fasts were proclaimed for a reason. And God was very present in this time. Very present. And for the Jews to be annihilated would mean that there would be no chance of a Messiah. So do you think God was going to allow Haman to destroy the Jews? I don't think so. God will not stand by and let his people be utterly destroyed. Completely and totally destroyed. Punished? Yes, we have saw that all through the word of God, haven't we? We ourselves are punished at times by God. But he wouldn't allow them to be totally destroyed. We know that judgment and punishment fall upon them often. Now, Esther no doubt loved God and, he lo- and she loved her people. And which caused her to do unbelievable things. To go before the king and not to be called for was an unbelievable act. And it took great guts, but most of all, it took great faith. It took great faith to go before the king. And Vashti, it's funny, Vashti wouldn't come when she was called, and now Esther is going when she wasn't called. So there's a big difference here. And God's provision kept Esther alive. But you've got to understand, when we walk with the call of God... On our lives, there's nothing that can stop us. Yeah, the king had this rule, you walk in my inner court and I'll have your head chopped off. There was people standing there just waiting to have it done. They were ready. You saw it. But I also read where they had axes and stuff too. It wasn't just a little sword. He was ready to take you down. But God's provision kept Esther alive to do unbelievable things. But not only did Esther's faith enable her to do unbelievable things, Esther's faith enabled her to receive unbelievable favor. In verse 5-2 it says, When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touch the tip of the scepter. I can almost imagine he hasn't seen his queen in 30 days. I can only imagine what he looked at her like. She's in her royal robes. And so she looks back at, he looks back at her, and it's almost like the wedding day. Oh, wow, it's Esther. Guys, you remember when you saw your wife on the wedding day? You remember what happened? Some of you passed out probably, but... Uh, some of you made it till she at least got down there. Then you locked your legs and passed out. But it was the wedding day. Oh. And he was looking at Esther and her beauty. And so it had been 30 days. I have a hard time when my wife goes away one or two days. I don't like to stay at home. I don't like to sleep in our bed. I don't like because it's weird. And he had been without his queen for 30 days. I can't imagine 30 days. That don't even make sense to me. I can't even fathom that. But I can also imagine what Mordecai was thinking as as she passed him. Is is she the walking dead right now? Has she signed her death sentence? But he remembers these words, if I perish, I perish. And he also realizes that if Esther perishes right now, we're all going to perish too. Because there's nothing that can be changed for us. And so just like the movie clip, 
I can see Haman and all of them looking at each other saying, Oh, but, but she should be killed. Protocol. It's, it's been broken. She must die. This was, the worst. this was even worse than what Vashti did. I'm sure they were just saying, Look, listen, king, listen, she's crazy. And they're, they're wanting to get in that holy huddle again. But you notice the king didn't even look at them. His eyes were fixed on Esther. And so now, I bet Mimukin's thinking, how do we write this one off? How do we even deal with this? There's no limit to what these women are going to do now. I bet he was an emotional mess. I bet he was all over himself. And he was probably standing close to Haman, since Haman was mean and hateful anyway, and wanted everything for himself. And I bet you could hear a pin drop. Esther had just done the unbelievable thing, found unbelievable favor in the fa- of the king, in the favor of the king. And I can't imagine that it was just Esther's beauty that caused him not to have her killed. But I can't imagine that it's because there was a God who grew within a pagan king, a heart size of Mount Everest, that caused him to love her despite of what she just did. See, when we trust God and we love Him and we have faith, we can do unbelievable things. There's unbelievable things that we can do. The thing that stands between you and I from doing great things is our faith and our trust in God. And trust me, this sermon is for me because I let myself start doubting and stop, and I start doubting what. I should do and how I should do it and, and if God's going to help me through it. I start doubting. But listen to this verse in Proverbs 21.1. It says, In the Lord's hand, in His hand is the king's heart. It's a stream of water that He channels toward all who please Him. God's got that king's heart right in the palm of His hand. And we've got to remember that God is in control. Proverbs 3, 3-4 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Esther had love and faithfulness. Esther had love and faithfulness. God can turn the heads of man for an escape, just like Pastor Stacy was talking about Wednesday. Cause them to even become invisible. He can turn the hearts of kings to change protocol. He can draw all men to himself in any way he chooses. And he can cause a young man to defeat a giant with a slingshot and a stone. He can cause three men to walk through a fiery furnace. He can cause Daniel to, to stay in a lion's den all night long and the lions never touch him. He can call down fire from heaven. He can heal the sick and so much more. And with Esther's faith and belief in God, she knew that she was stepping into something that was very dangerous, but she had the faith to walk through it. Amazing things happen when we trust in an amazing God. Philippians 4.19 said, My God will meet all your needs according to His riches and glories in Christ Jesus. God wants us to trust Him. We don't have to be afraid of tomorrow. We don't have to be afraid of today if we can just 
believe that we can do the unbelievable. Only by faith. Only by knowing that there's provisions made by God alone. So what's our part? What's our part? It's to love and to trust and to have faith in Him. He loves you and me and He wants us to trust Him. When you're going through your day, who are you trusting? Why are you trusting? How are you trusting? You know, I find out how much I trust whenever something happens. How quick do I go to my resources rather than God's resources? That shows how much faith and trust we have in Him. So God's provision brought forth the king's approval. And lastly, I want you to see that Esther's faith enables her to make unbelievable requests. You know, when we have a communication with our Father, it's not that we've been, God's cast us out and we're no longer saved. It's not those things. It's a communication. If I called my dad right now and I, he answered the phone and said hello, I'm like, Dad, I need $100. Uh, call me back later. Bye. What is that? Most of us have that kind of, I mean, not most of us, but a lot of us have that kind of communication with our Heavenly Father. But if I call my dad and I ask him how he's doing and I'm talking to him and we have a, a working relationship and we're, we're talking about asking how each other's doing... And then I say, Dad, I've got a problem. And I ask him for $100. It's different. There's got to be a communication. And when we have communication with our Heavenly Father, requests do not seem so hard. Those requests can come a little easier. And you can ask God in faith and believe that He'll answer those prayers. His will, not mine, His will be done. So the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? He asked her that three times. And then they come to the second banquet. That was the first one. Then she told him, I'll tell you in the second one. And finally, at the second one, he says, what is your request? Why did Esther wait? Because Esther knew, well, Esther didn't know. God's provision knew that the king was going to have a dream. And he, well, he wasn't going to be able to sleep. And he was going to have to have them come in and read the chronicles of his reign. And guess what part came up? The part where Mordecai saved his life. And he said, how has Mordecai been, um, how's he been favored in any way in this? How's he been rewarded? And they said he hasn't. And all of a sudden, guess who comes into the court? Haman, the one who hates Mordecai so much. And so he calls Haman in there, and Haman was so proud of himself because he thought he was just the best thing. And he, the king says, how should I reward whom the king delights to honor? And this is what Haman said. He thought to himself, now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? Isn't that great? He had already had his ego party back in chapter 5 when his wife and his friends were boosting him up you know and telling him how good he was and so his big old head had swelled too big and so what happened was as King Xerxes says he started blurting out all these things that the king should do for this guy thinking it was him and King Xerxes says hurry and go do that but do it all to Mordecai the Jew and again, if you've ever seen this movie, I love it because he has to walk in front of Mordecai. They have to put a robe 
have a horse, and he has to do all this stuff. And, and then he has to say, uh, the king says, leave nothing undone. Leave nothing undone. You do everything that I just said. And Haman hated, hated Mordecai. So Haman got the robe and the horse, and he rode Mordecai. He led him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this was what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Don't you just love God's sense of humor? And so to add insult to injury, when he finishes his good deed, he covers his head and runs home. Then his wife, you got to love this, and his advisors tell him, listen, Haman told Zeresh, uh, Zeresh, his wife, all his friends, everything that had happened to him. And his advisors and his wife, Zeresh, told him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Thank you, honey. I appreciate your support. <laughs> so the king's unit came and heard him on to the second banquet. And he went in, and, and the king asked Esther again, What is your request? What is it? The queen tells her her true identity. I'm a Jew, and we have been sold. And she told him exactly how she had been sold by the bribe to the king from Haman. And immediately the king wants to know, Who is this? And Esther says, An adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. I can just see her point her finger at him. This vile Haman, and then Haman was terrified. Wow, he's a humble man now. Finally, he's busted. It's over. You lose. Game over. You're about to have, you just had your last meal. Because now the king knows the truth. Because God never loses. God may let man wallow in their filth for a time, but he knows every satanic attack upon his people and God never loses how many y'all believe that amen God never loses we might allow Satan to have victory in our life but God will never allow Satan to have victory in our life if we don't allow it we got to stand firm and we got to trust in him so suddenly he's a humble man at her feet is where he should have fell begging because the king left in a rage but no, he falls on the couch where Esther is sitting. So the king walks in the door. And he seals Haman's faith with these words. He said, will he even molest the queen while he, she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Marked as a dead man. And I know if you did like I did, in my mind I said, goody. And then kind of rejoiced a little bit because how exciting it is. Because you know what? I look at what Haman was doing, and you could see it in the face of the actor, but I look at what he does is what Satan does to us every day. And when God proclaims his doom, I cannot wait. I can't wait till God seals him into the pit. It's going to be exciting, and I've always said I hope he lets us kick him in the head several times before he shuts the door. But just like Satan, everyone was sick of Haman. And then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching a height of 50 cubits, which is 75 feet, stands at Haman's house, whom he was going to impale Mordecai on. 
That he didn't say, you know, the king says, okay, good, go impale him on it. Normally people were killed before they were impaled on one of these poles. I didn't hear the king say, well, kill him and then impale him. So I'm just wondering if the king was so mad that he just said, impale him alive. Go ahead. Shish kebab Haman. Aren't you glad God makes provisions? He makes provisions. Esther's faith enabled her to believe things, unbelievable things will happen, and, and to enable unbelievable favor on her life, and to enable unbelievable requests to be made. God's provisions for every step of the way. God never loses. He will, His will will be done. You can see his provision, the cousin raising Esther, the stubbornness of Ashdod, the process of finding a queen, the position of Mordecai, the prosecution of Haman. It's all God's will. Two questions. Is our faith bringing us to an encounter with the king? Second question. Do we have faith in God and love him enough to take the steps of faith in our walk with him that he requires? That's the two questions I want to leave you with today. We're looking at a great act of faith and selfless love by Queen Esther. By any fact of any, anything that is selfless cannot be of me because I want to be selfish. And our, our flesh will continuously fight against the desire to be selfless, it will always desire to be selfish. It takes the provisions of a mighty God to cause us to be selfless, for a queen to walk into a court, for us to stand in a pulpit, for us to go into another country, for us to share our faith at school. Whatever it might be, it takes provisions of God and, and Him pushing you and encouraging you to be able to stand for Him. So, Esther had to choose selfless or selfish. We have to choose selfless or selfish. And it's not about us. It's about God. It's about His people. And I'm not just talking about the Jewish people. I'm talking about all of us. I'm talking about the people outside this church. It's about them. And God will make provision for us to reach out to them. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828 628 1188.